Welcome to Arise, the Honest Man's podcast. My name is Karun Avatar, and with me is my dear co-host, Jai Jagannath Prabhu, as usual. What is this about? Men rising up to end the silence around us about the chains that bind us, to dispel the darkness of illusion with luminous spiritual technologies, to finally become the hero within us all. Conscious Relationships 3.0. We're so, so, so happy to have you guys with us. Dania and Bali, welcome. Most welcome. I'm totally thrilled for this topic. It's, uh, it's one of my favorites. And, but Jai was the one to suggest that we should have a whole series on it. And it's just so wonderful that you guys agreed to come. Thank you very much. Thank you for having um, me. Good to be with you again. Yeah, yeah. You were you were with us just recently, and um, yeah, we we just we just want to bring you on. Actually, Jai has has a he has a crush on you. Just so you know, <laughs> I have a crush. I have a crush on both of them. I crush hard, I crush hard on Bali too. <laughs> just um, a little bit of an intro so that everyone with us can. Uh, Get a bit of a darshan of how dynamic these two are. Uh, the, well, they're both brilliant thinkers and Krishna Bhaktas, of course. They're musicians, instrumentalists. Bali is a poet. He's a boss rapper and a producer. <laughs> and uh, Danya is a songwriter and she has the voice of an angel. And in addition to that, Bali is also a pharmacist. And Danya is a specialist family and uh, couple counselor, which is also incredible since she's going to be bringing that edge onto the show and i think most recently and probably most prominently you guys are now also really devoted loving parents um so it's just super inspiring to look how look how bali just geeked up to hear that part <laughs> i'll bring her i'll bring her <laughs> i just wanted to acknowledge her. he immediately geeked up to hear that particular part yeah She's my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> so nice to have you guys. I am I've always geeked on you for a long time. Since I first I've known Bali almost my entire Krishna conscious career, which means nearly 20 years I've known Bali. Um, but we didn't after the beginning years, I didn't reconnect with him until I saw you guys both in Kali, Colombia. Like what was that, like two or three years back? Mm -hmm. And just being with you guys there, I was like. I just fell in love. I was like, this, they're like so smart, so amazing, so funny. And um, so just really special to have you here for this Conscious Relationships 3.0. Our first idea to do this episode was with Vera and Jai. And after that episode, I was like, okay, we need to get the ladies' perspective on the same exact questions. And then after that episode, I was like, this should just be a series um, because people, even with the same questions, can give many different angles and then just churn the subject matter. Just as if you want to put a pole in the ground, you just keep digging in the same spot so that the hole is deep enough for the pole to go inside. Mm -hmm. So we just thought that we'll just continue to do a series like this once a month with different couples, conscious relationships, couples that we appreciate and admire um, so that people can get the nectar and just join in such a conversation. So thank you again. And let's get it started. My first question, I have two first questions. Question number one is a very simple one. How long have y'all been together, married and otherwise? And just to amplify that, like you could you could kind of give us a few details, like how did it start? <laughs> Tell us the story. Uh, okay, well, it's 2021, 2019, 2009. So we've been together for 12 years. Wow. 
we we've known each other we've known each other like basically a huge chunk of our lives because bali's uh bali grew up with my older half brother um mm. and so they were they they lived from when the, from the time that they were born basically they lived um in new taliban which is a farm community in mississippi mm. and so and i grew up very close to my older half brother and half sister and so through through connecting with them eventually everybody moved to alatra so anytime i would visit my family inevitably i would see bali and we'd all do kirtan together and i'd see him at festivals but i was living in Venezuela so it was like a once a year thing or I'd see him at Prajanmasami at the temple but it was always like connection through my brother and um through my MySpace <laughs> <laughs> oh my god yeah and then yeah then we became like we had MySpace friends and like MSN messenger <laughs> friends and yeah we'd keep in touch and you know there was always like a very strong connection his parents and my parents actually actually the story goes way back before then but his my dad opened the first center for Krishna consciousness in Colombia, in Bogota, mm. and preached to wow. Bali's dad's older brother, so to Bali's uncles. Whoa. Yeah, and the, so, the first Radha Krishna deities in Colombia were in my grandfather's house. Um, my dad was a kid, like a teenager, but his older brothers were of that age in their 20s, like mm. um, Daniel's dad was. so he basically made them devotees they made my dad a devotee he was all into it you know he was 14 or something and so we stayed connected like that and then between my relationship with her half brother i i knew he she, he had a half sister in venezuela and you know space book in my face <laughs> um connected us and we we officially were together in 2009 got engaged in 2010 and married in 2011. Wow. So this will be our 10 year wedding anniversary this fall. It's just, I, I just, I keep saying wow because you're a young couple that's been married for, by our standards, a long ass time. <laughs> it sounds like Hollywood. When someone makes it past a couple of years, you're like, <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. So that's amazing. I, I like to kick it off. I always kick off these conscious episodes with this one question. It's kind of philosophical in nature. It is said that in the West, they marry the person that they love. And in the East, they love the person that they marry. And so the emphasis is like an approach to relationship with, with love in the center versus an approach to relationship with like duty in the center. And you kind of get like in the old world, it was kind of like a more duty-based approach. And then love came out of being dutiful to that relationship or committed to the relationship. Whereas in the Western world and the stories that we inherit growing up, like the only real reason to involve oneself in a relationship is because you actually love the person first. And then maybe the commitment comes some, you know, a short time after the love. And your own relationship, how do you see that happening? Or how did it unfold? And what are your views on this particular dynamic between love and duty? First, um, first answer the question, how did, how did it play out for y'all story? Yeah. And then answer the question, how you think about it now, this sort Def of dynamic. Definitely love first. Mm. Um, you know, I think it's important to recognize the, the standards and the traditions, but we have to also acknowledge that we're in the 21st century. <laughs> And you can't, if you can live in a small, like M. Night Shyamalan village type situation where you're totally disconnected from the outside world, 
you can you can function in any kind of like traditional society but the way we are now there has mm. to be you know we can't like the arranged marriages and all that stuff it can sometimes work um but um there has to be some we have to mo modernize to stay relevant and to survive as a society we have to to some degree be able to adapt to the common age in the common era so i mean i fell in love with danya um it comes from attraction whether it's it starts probably starts physical attraction because you see sure. some you know especially in this age of social media you see them then through their personality through their humor through their values through the spiritual like development and um and then there's some compatibility there's a chemistry there so that that for us is our thing and then of course because we come from the same shared value system and the same similar religion similar culture both mm -hmm. you know, latin american and stuff so it it really it it did bridge a lot of i i know you say east west maybe you know traditional versus modern views i think that um so we have a lot of that new age the newer age um standard as far as our relationship goes but we accept many of the principles and the ethics of the older traditions or the Eastern traditions, understanding the value of the institution of marriage being beyond your personal gratification mm -hmm. and your personal, even, you know, it might be hard to say or hear, but even your personal happiness, what does it mean? What does your marriage mean to more than just your, your pleasure and happiness on that day or in that year? What is the mm -hmm. bigger picture if you pull back for your children, for the, for the children of your peers, for the grandchildren, the extended community, like it affects much more. So uh, understanding that everybody has the right to feel happy and fulfilled and loved, but at the same time, knowing what it means to sacrifice oneself for the greater good. I think that's kind of like the, the harmonious balance between the Eastern and the Western. Mm. Mm, well said. Danya, some thoughts on this? Yeah, I think yeah it was definitely love first and i would say even beyond like a romantic love it was a friendship love which i think is much mm. more valuable like it, they they say like in couples counseling there's um commitment companionship and like intimacy or romance and they say that of all the ones that you know they're, they're like increasing density in terms of like how steady they are so the most fluctuating obviously is romance because even just with like your body and the way things change hormones seasons of life whatever that changes then friendship you know that oscillates a little bit but it's relatively steady and then commitment is just like that bedrock so when one gets choppy you know just like in the ocean when one gets choppy you have to sink to a, a deeper level and then if that ocean is still choppy then you have to sink to a deeper level and so it makes sense like traditional cultures like they just sink it all the way to the deep <laughs> and if everything else is there then cool and if it's not then also cool because because it was it was functional more than than anything else but you know in our relationship uh, we've been lucky enough to have all three of those and all th all three of those have been you know very steady for us and so we're very lucky but i would say the friendship one was the one where it was like wow i think that was a you know it was the first element that was there for sure and then also it's it's just been the steadiest and and having that traditional context it honestly has been such an anchor because if it was just based on romance or like bali said like just based on uh enjoyment or my you know in the moment happiness or whatever um 
it's really hard. Like it's really hard. Like marriage mm. is not a joke and, and, and it's going to test, it's going to test your resolve in many areas, mostly intrapersonal, like mostly what's mm. going on inside of yourself. It's not like, Oh, can I tolerate this other person? It's way beyond that. It's what's mm. happening inside of me over the course of two years, five years, 10 years. That's why that commitment piece is so valuable because there's some stuff you like, you literally won't get to that lesson unless you're with somebody for an extended amount of time. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I have a, just a quick follow up on that. Um, the stories that we inherit growing up, you know, really put love in the forefront. I may have shared this before on Arise, but I have this embarrassing sort of confession. It's kind of, it's embarrassing. But I remember being 17, I, would, I was training as a ballet dancer and I would leave sometime and I would be so despondent with, because I hadn't found love yet, which is like the most important thing. And I will walk. I don't even know if I want to share this. <laughs> but <laughs> on, second thought, on second thought, we're going to go to our sponsors right now. We'd like to thank the Tulsi Mala and Montrology for sponsoring. <laughs> I would literally walk from 10th Street to 60th Street in New York City and back down to 10th Street. So like 100 blocks, hoping that I would like somehow bump into love. And when you bump into love, you know, the leaves would fall, the music would play in the background, it'd be like, just like this epic thing. And reality, someone's like, come on, Jai. <laughs> but it's, it's, you know, and I think even now, like people know me as kind of like a stoic, but I do have this like pretty big emotional, I'm like, I'm a romantic, I think fundamentally. I think we know that about you. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe y'all know that about me, but a lot of people see me as a jerk. So I, I wonder, I, what I want to ask is that a lot a lot of that came from the stories that I inherited growing up, like we all inherited. And it seems to present a very unrealistic relationship, but because those stories are constantly playing in our head, it creates challenges to the actual situation when you get into a relationship. And yeah, is is that true? And to what degree is that true? Like, to what degree does one have to like maybe battle those inherited stories that kind of give you a promise of something that's not exactly fully true when you're actually entering into a relationship? I don't know and if that's also, making sense. What I'm asking, and also coming from 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 a more um, established Krishna conscious background where the the Vedic value system was something that you guys basically grew up with. To what extent did those perhaps um, uh, fallacious inherited ideas actually influence you guys? You know, just yeah, considering where where you hail from. Well, I think first, um, it is true for a lot of people. Mm. So to speak personally. I do feel like I have a storybook romance with mm. that. Like I do feel, I do feel very much like I do feel very much like I am in love and I love her and and um, you know we like light each other's life up in a way that has nothing to do with kirtan, Krishna consciousness, ethics or morals. Like the company is is it just lightens the heart. Like it completes a part of me. So I have to confirm that when I stay with you guys, I was like, <laughs> oh my God, they actually like each other. <laughs> yes. 
you're gonna see this person every day. If you don't enjoy your company, you are taking the long. It's gonna be a long road. And right. I, I really enjoy. Like, I don't know, you know, if you have somebody that in your life, whether it doesn't have to be, a, you know, a romantic, but a relationship where you're just like, I love being with this person. It's always just fun. And even if we fight sometimes, um, it, we just, it, it, I enjoy their company so much. I could hang out with them all day. I was with them all summer. I was with them all year, and it was just great. Like we're always, we just bring each other up and we're always laughing and smiling and challenging one another and fighting. And, but it's just the dynamic of your relationship. It, it fulfills you in a certain way. Like we, some people don't have those kinds of relationships. I feel like I have a lot of really good relationships in my life. And Danya with, I have that. I feel completely like I have a very romantically fulfilling relationship that might be something that was fed to the masses as like the ideal of like a sitcom type marriage where we're all cr cracking jokes and getting in these zany situations <laughs> um so that being said like i have i have that which probably clouds my perception um but i do believe that um you know we we need relationships to thrive and we need all kinds of relationships to thrive um, you know, the relationship between a teacher and a student, somebody that you can, that is like your bedrock that, you know, that you, they, you can just like, if you're ever in doubt about anything existentially, you can turn to them and, and everybody needs that. And in our tradition that manifests as the guru disciple <laughs> relationship, they're, they're your anchor to spiritual life. Um, good, uh, you know, father, mother figures in your life, good brother figures in your life, <clears throat> good relationships with the opposite sex in your life good relationships with children to be able to pass on to the younger generation that things like all of those things for you to have the full kind of human experience and to be fulfilled as a person it's ideal that you have all of those things regardless of krishna consciousness and and then of course a companion to to be with you now some people they don't necessarily need that it's not that's not absolute truth where absolutes it's basically krishna that's the only absolute. Everything else is relative. So not these are kind of like I'm making generalized statements. Some people can function totally well without very like pivotal archetype type relationships throughout their lives. Like they, they don't need it. They can they can their guru is inside. Krishna is their guru. They can find enlightenment without that. But in general, we can kind of generalize that most people need these kind of relationships. Guru, disciple, father, mother, son, generation, the brotherhood, sisterhood and then companionship. So, and they can be romanticized, whether it's romanticized, like, you know, you're watching 300 and the guys are all super buff and like, like beating people up together or, <laughs> you know, whether it's the, you know, you're, you're carrying your little niece on your shoulders and it's such a, like a funny little like uh, adventure you're taking them when they're painting your toenails and, and, or whatever it is, like it can be super exaggerated and it can be like a fable type thing, but really those are because that is the human experience. I think that it's important that everybody has those and find somebody that they connect because the different chambers of your heart, it's like when I had Namamalia, there was a, a an entire chamber. I thought that I knew what it meant to love a child or what it meant to, I don't know, you know, you have, I have so many like nieces and nephews that you think, you know, like, I love kids. I, and I still, I love all kids, but when I had to get, I'm like, oh, there was an entire section that had been untapped that when she was born, it just like opened it and it flooded my whole being with like a, a immediate like love and, and transformation. So 
I think that to be fully kind of realized as emotionally, spiritually, like we can detach from all that stuff because we know from what we learned that it's temporary, but on an emotional, psychological level, like the different layers of intimacy to have all of those things is very important. And I found I have all of many of those things. I think I have all of those kinds of really powerful relationships. And then my intimacy, like my companionate conjugal type relationship I have with Dunya and, and, and it's very fulfilling. So mm. I think that to say like, you know, these things that were fed to me and they're kind of romanticized and like the people who don't, you know, I'm like, I kind of feel like everybody, everybody has the right to have that. It might not be on your karmic path, but mm. I think that I, I, I would like, I think that everybody has a soulmate. Mm. It's, maybe that's like super something that is. <laughs> I'm dying just looking at you, making me. <laughs> I, I do. I do. Uh, I do. Everybody does. So, you know, it just takes, it takes time and you have to make the right decisions to get to the place where you can find that person and they can find you and see you and you can find them and see them. And there are certain people that they never take the steps and never do the things to get to where they need to be, to have that companionate thing that it's like, cause it's a challenge to be like, I'm going to wake up next to you and sleep next to you and be with you every day all year for 50 years that's like it's a it's a chat that's like a, it has this it's fulfilling but it also is is very trying so you know you have to be ready to to receive that and i think everybody has the right to receive that everybody has the potential to receive that and i think that many people do um but but probably not enough mm. Mm. Beautiful. Mm. Daniel, thoughts on this? I want to refine my question also just slightly, just based on that answer. Um, the romanticized aspect of those relationships are what's primarily presented mm -hmm. to us. Or or the like heavy dysfunction. You know, you don't see like a lot of like balanced stories where there is a romanticized part, and then there's like this is a trying part, and this is what you have to do to deal through those trying parts. So do, is that inheriting those stories, how do they impact relationships and how do they impact relationships for you guys specifically? Think, you know, like Bali and I both grew up, I think, pretty well, like one foot inside of the kind of Vaishnav community stories of you know, couples mm. and also one foot in the mainstream culture. You know, I grew up with Disney movies and, you know. <laughs> oh my God, yes. And, and I feel like, you know, I, I personally don't feel like by being immersed in that, I grew up thinking like, oh, my Prince Charming is out there and I just have to do all the right things and we'll finally meet and the soulmate thing. You know, I grew up for the longest time thinking like maybe marriage wasn't for me, maybe, mm -hmm. you know, because I think it's it's media. But then, as you said, like you don't see the inside of a relationship. You don't see how does this work? What happens after there's romance? What happens when they have their first fight or their 500th fight? What happens when one person wants to have kids and the other one doesn't? What happens when one is doing really well and thriving in their spiritual life and the other one is struggling? What happens when extended families don't get along? Like all the drama that comes with, with being married, you don't see that. But I think culturally, with or without media, those are taboo topics, mm. right? Because even generations previous to ours that didn't grow up with Disney movies, it's not like they knew what was going on in their parents' rooms, you know, behind closed doors conversations they were having, like mm. people of previous generations also. There's some 
lack of access to what happens behind closed doors of couplehood. Mm. And I've struggled with that even in understanding Vedic couples or Shastric couples. Like you don't know, you know, the big challenge of understanding, you know, the end of the Ramayana where Sita is exiled and Lord Ram, you know, so understanding you're like, okay, that was a conversation between a couple. What did they, how did they figure that out? What was it? There's the story, there's the Leela, but what was the actual relationship? What was happening in there? What, what was that conversation like? What are the conversations like between Devahuti and Kardama Muni? You know, I really want to know that one, but okay. And that's what I'm saying, because also just like there's this standard, like Hollywood standard or mainstream culture, movies, TV shows, books, standard of like, oh, this overly fluffy, really indulgent, romantic relationship that seems like an impossible standard. I think for a lot of us growing up in Krishna consciousness, there's another impossible standard, which is a Kardama Muni Devahuti standard, which is like all commitment, total tapasya, complete surrender, and like an almost psychic understanding of your partner's needs and will and just totally just like syncing up and then when it's time to detach everybody's like perfect i'll detach you detach already okay on um, you know and then you just that also seems like an impossible standard so i feel like mm. having one foot in one and having one foot in the other it's definitely been a journey to try and, and negotiate like well okay it's obvious that these are certain ideals that are out there but then where are we respective to that? And, and we come from different family backgrounds as well. Like my parents didn't stay together. That gave me a set of lessons and experiences. Mm. And from that, I'm able to contribute to my marriage. Bali's parents had a beautiful, you know, like loving uh, relationship and, and a cool marriage. And he's able to give that to our relationship. So I, th I feel like we, we have like a very wide, variegated uh, spread of like where we got input from and some of it was really helpful some of it's not so helpful but um there's definitely not enough information that feels like real and like clear and tangible out there so i definitely mm. think we, we struggle just like all couples struggle because we don't really know what's going on like behind closed doors for couples yeah amazing i'm just that's yeah just so good i i yeah Bali, i I want to come back to something that you said, actually, uh, one or two things. And you made this, you made this statement that, and it's more something that I want to clarify because I think I know what you meant, but you made this statement that you believe that every person has a soulmate. And do you believe that every person has like a single soul or is it more the case that every person has a whole kind of range of potential soulmates? And then relating that also to something else that you said where, you know, you were basically suggesting that you got to do the things that are necessary to put yourself in a appropriate position to be ready to receive that soulmate, mm. right? Mm. So just putting all of that on the table, like what's, what's your view? Yeah, I want to amplify that last part too. I was also really fascinated by that prepare yourself part of what you said too. Anyway, so just want to hear that. So yeah, I I, I do what you're saying that there are many different paths. I do believe that there are many, you know, different ways that you could live your life and connect with a person um, that that would feel like it was a bonding of souls. But but there's only one person I think that can. 
to the highest that you will achieve in this life. So I, you know, I might've not been with Danya and been 85% of the men that I am now, and maybe still been, been a happy functional adult, but that per she is able to, to unlock and help me grow in the greatest capacity to think that if our paths had never been, then I would have just have been miserable and alone for the rest of my life. Probably not likely, but I would not like the trajectory of my life would not have been the same, not and 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 in a very um clearly like superior versus inferior inferior functioning. So I do believe that there is one person out there that can tap into your psychological emotional, intellectual, physical, and spiritual self to bring that to the highest it will reach in the companionate sphere. That person is your soulmate. There's somebody else out there who you may have found that for whatever reason you end up with that person and they can get you to 70% of what you might have reached if you had met the right person or you had put yourself in the position to be, you know, like, if I had at, at 19 made different decisions in my life, like I, we would have never met. It just, it wouldn't have happened. And I would have still, you know, like I, my, like, uh, you know, the packages that were like all inserted into my brain from, you know, Latin American, Guru Kuli, uh, Iskan, mm. born in Iskan in the 80s, all of those things that kind of like, you know, they eventually like erupt and bloom and blossom and create your, your who you are and what you say and how you act your yeah. condition the conditioning packages you receive yeah. if i had made different decisions she wouldn't have seen me known me met me it would have just been different so but i still yeah. probably would have ended up with somebody as some because my i always knew i actually i have a picture of myself and my brother <laughs> and we're we're four or five years old we're in new taliban and we're wearing like saffron and i was like this is the only picture i have of my whole childhood where i'm wearing saffron and i was like what i asked my dad what happened to those dhotis and he said we wore it to the temple and then afterwards i said pa i can't wear this i'm a grihasta <laughs> <laughs> nice <laughs> oh, that's great I knew, you know, it's like I knew that I was gonna find. It was a lifetime in preparation. Exactly. <laughs> I knew that I was going to end up. That's just my. Those are my values to find a, a romantic partner. I had parents who were very affectionate and loving to one another and to us, and mm -hmm. they had a very like, yeah, you know, I, my mom had me at she was eighteen, nineteen years old. They moved from Colombia to you know, be in America. My dad showed her a BTG of New Taliban and said, I want to take you here, like to live on a farm outside of the city of Bogota, the capital um, city in Colombia. And we're just going to like serve Krishna and Prabhupada together. So, and then they just kind of like uprooted, left with nothing, like came to this country with nothing and then started their whole thing. And my brother was born and we had all of these, like, you know, it's um, a romantic, I guess, romantic type, you know, eclectic, um, childhood so but it, it put me on the path i knew that i was going to meet someone that i was going to love someone and i knew that the things that i had seen between my parents and their love that i would be able to offer that to somebody luckily i the things happened the way that it did that i put myself in dunya's trajectory and it, mm. it when it did how it did um mm. i do think that people they miss 
and they end up with people that that maybe and they can be happy and they'll have kids and they truly feel happy but it's like you know if that person had found a person that was more like this they could i have anyway i'm not going to cut point out names, but it's like, you'll see somebody that you grew up with them and they're very, say they're very a certain way, intellectual, or they're very spiritual. And they meet somebody who doesn't stimulate that part of their life. So that if it doesn't get watered, it just dies. And then they just become whatever it is, like it, it, other parts of them become nourished. So maybe that person then becomes very like a loyal husband and a good father and other things become developed. But that person that they were with because of whatever reason doesn't is doesn't have the compatibility to get all of those different areas of life and lift them up and they mm. still they'll have kids and be happy and they'll stay together forever but maybe someone else maybe a, a soulmate person might have they both would have lifted each other up to their highest potential so mm. in that case mm. yes yeah, soulmate but Oh my God, Danya, I'm feeling charmed on your behalf. <laughs> I'm like, totally, totally. Oh, we're all like zooming these crush vibes to Bali. Like, well, Bali. I, okay, so I really, I really want to tap into this a little deeper and, and ask you like, what, because it was in one sense, as Danya said, like a lifetime in preparation for you. So what, what were those those pivotal decisions that you made to put yourself in, uh, let's say, in correspondence or in alignment with, to meet Danya at the time that you did. Um, how did you specifically prepare yourself consciously? And then beyond the way that you did it, what, what do you think are the core principles that need to be applied by men specifically in order to qualify themselves well to to be in the position to let's say invite that soulmate into their life no same then, question for danya but in terms of women yes 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 so corona avatar you and i are linked that was that was exactly my next question the reality is this um i it like anything in um in krishna consciousness it requires your effort but truly we understand that it is Krishna's grace. Mm -hmm. Like we know that without that, like I, we're not qualified to receive, like when you feel some like spiritual, like the presence of God, that comes from the work that you have done up until that point. And it might be a fleeting moment, but that comes from Krishna's grace where it's like, it can't have, you can work, work really hard, but you have to receive that. So I don't, I didn't qualify myself. Um, I, I have to say that, that, well, I, I think I personally believe that Krishna and my mother, the mercy of my mother's like protective energy. And, and I don't know if, if you know this, Avatar, she passed away when I was 20 years old from multiple sclerosis. So I had a very good relationship with her and it was, it was very like, she became very transcendent in her, in her, in her departure. And I feel that she that she brought Danny into my life. Mm -hmm. um, even though I wasn't, I wasn't worthy of that then. Um, and that, but I realized what I had had and tried to make myself worthy of what I'd received over time. Mm -hmm. So I don't I, really I, feel that I actually qualified myself to get what I got is the, is the truth. Um, 
but I do understand the principles that that requires. Um, I want to. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, dude! I'm feeling charmed on your behalf again. <laughs> I um just just to that little piece you just spoke. It seems important. Just one element that seems to be coming out. And I'm re I'm reflecting here the relationship with the mother in a mm -hmm. lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Aside from like this protective energy, which is a little bit maybe more abstract, but even more practical, the way you that relationship of a man to his mother in a lot of ways can inform him of the type of person, you know, that, that yeah, he should maybe look for, in a, in a sense, not like you want to find someone that's exactly like your mom, but like her standard of being, her character, these things help to, it's like, it's like a distribu distribution of grace just by mm -hmm. the mom's character and that relationship with her that can prepare mm -hmm. a, a boy at the time who's coming into his manhood what he might look for should look for and so on that's what i'm reflecting here that's kind of what i'm hearing that's absolutely true i think that without a good i mean it's and and many things from the father also you know if you don't have a good relationship with your father mm -hmm. it's you're gonna have things that you're gonna have to get over you're gonna have to learn there's gonna be like it, it causes its own like scarring and difficulty that you're gonna have to grow through mm -hmm. and same thing if you don't have a good relationship with your mother um and I had a very good relationship with both of my parents. And I think that that, that set me on a good path. Um, you know, my mother was very loving and nurturing and also very spiritually um, surcharged, a very faithful devotee of, of Krishna and of, her, and of our Guru Maharaj. And I think that um, in general, you know, we know what is good. Um, and I, I think that we are disadvantaged as men by having a lot more barriers to get there. Um, I think that women are imposed higher standards, and but it's easier to get there for them. That's just my probably super sexist opinion. But <laughs> I believe that men are disadvantaged. I, I feel that we have we have a lot of biophysiological societal barriers to to self-realization you know whether it's our like insati insatiable sex desire machismo aggression testosterone ego all of these things that that most women i don't think have to have to they're fighting outside there's so many outside oppressive forces mm -hmm. and they also have their inside oppressive forces and with men it's like we have maybe less barriers on the outside we don't have that glass ceiling, but the inside oppressive forces, which are actually the ones that determine who you are and your merit and value and all of those things are so much harder to overcome. So I think that everybody has an internal understanding of what it means to be a good person and specifically what it means to be a good man, to be a provider, to be a protector, to be loyal, to be strong mentally, emotionally, physically, um, to be affectionate, to be caring, like all of we know. And it's just a matter of like, can I act with integrity to get to that place? And if not, can I recognize those things, see them for what they are, acknowledge like my shortcomings and be like, I have to work on this. And, be, and then be like, am I, you look back in the year and say, did I? Am I anywhere further along this path? Like, am I less aggressive? Do, does my ego flare up less when somebody like 
disagrees with me, whatever it is that you're doing. And I think, um, I think I had an understanding of what a good man was from a young age. I don't think I got there by the time or got anywhere. I don't think I'm, I think I'm closer than I was 10 years ago. And I think that's mostly due to, due to Danya encouraging me to, to grow into the potential she saw in me, right? And that we all see in, in humanity, we know how amazing a human being can be, whether it, and, and a man has, they, they, everyone has their own like strengths and, and um, inclinations. So I think that she pushed me and is still pushing me to try and be like, okay, well, you're not there. Like, how can we get you there? How, what do you need? And recognizing those things in myself. So I don't think that I prepared myself to answer your question in a very roundabout way. Um, but I do think that I knew what it took. And, and there were little things that, that I did. Like I, I never touched drugs in my life. I was just like, that's something, there's a lot of things that I have. I have a lot of vices. I have a lot of difficulties, but this is not gonna be one of them. And I made that promise to myself when I was really young and I never went down that path. Alcohol, any types of drugs, soft, harder in any way. It just wasn't. So I, that was very big because I think that I would be like a super high functioning addict and just be like, yeah, like I'm, the top, like, I'm on Bodaka. And then I want to go you know, like, and then, you know, <laughs> Bodica, Bodica. And, then, and then my friends are going to play math, you know, do math, play soccer. And then I'll come back in time to practice Esraj and put Nama to sleep. You know? <laughs> like, Bali. So, so I, I realized that in myself. And that was something that, that would have taken me down a very, very different path. I also made a lot of bad decisions growing up that I'm like the things that you do, you can just pay for that stuff forever. You'll be like, I'm paying for this thing. And I'm like reaping these seeds that I sowed that were, that happened in a certain period of my life. I might the next five or six decades of my life because some like some scars are so powerful. So in many ways, I made a lot of good decisions to put myself in the place, um, whether it was like externally by like deciding to have a career and, and then like spiritually by having, by having Kirtan as a part of my seva and as a, a passion. And then internally through maybe like understanding the idealized man, the idealized like gentleman or whatever. And, and, having those there, even though I never quite got there, understanding them and striving for them in my own way was, I think, mm -hmm. enough, enough of my part. And then there's like, okay, at least you got there. And then Krishna did the rest. Mm. Nice. I'm hearing, wow. I'm hearing having good archetypes to look at of sort of like a primordial masculinity and understanding the various oppressive forces within yourself that you have to overcome in order to really be in a sense, worthy or to prepare yourself for a proper committed relationship, you know, a, a combination, even if you're not able to fully overcome them, but a recognition of those forces, a recognition of the need to move towards a more primordial masculinity and embodying that sort of ideal archetype of a gentleman or a noble, um, noble man. Daniel, what's, what's going on on your side? S same question. 
in preparation for a committed relationship. These questions have all been a gift from you guys for me because I just get to sit here and be like, la. Um, <laughs> Um, I mean, I think one, I, I'll echo what Bali says. I think that there's a lot of growth and, and I can say this even from a clinical standpoint, there's only so far you're going to get on your own. And then a relationship is going to help complete that because by nature we're social and we grow in tandem with others. That's why like the budget and an undiversion of self-realization is not practical for this age, right? We need the association of others. Like Bali was saying, a friend, a teacher, parents, community, peers, peers of the opposite sex, your eventual partner to, to complete that growth because there's certain triggers. There's like a synchronicity that happens with someone else's qualities, conditioning, whatever, that's going to start firing off stuff in you. And only then is the challenge kind of turned up enough in terms of intensity and in terms of commitment, the, the commitment becomes a container where like, okay, I have a space and a relationship where I need to work on this now. It's not an option. Mm. Whereas in many of my kind of fluffy, let's say consumerist, postmodern, as you say, Jajaganath, uh, world, I could just drop the relationship. The container is not strong enough to hold growth. So mm. when the challenge arises, then I can just roll out because I don't need to commit to this relationship. There's not that sense. So what's going to happen is I'm going to go like problem hopping. It's going to keep manifesting <laughs> relationships. And it's the same thing, just like with a different face. So I think that many of the ways in which we've grown as individuals, it took that container of a marriage and sometimes marriage at year four, sometimes marriage at year seven, marriage at year 10, where it's like, okay, the container is is ready has been prepared we've been investing enough into it and all the nice ways to now contain like heavy challenges and some of the challenges have been very heavy so i think that you you'll only be able to mature to those higher levels in a container of a relationship whatever re relationship that might be mm -hmm. um kind of hearing what he was saying one thing i noticed that we both did in our own ways um was position ourselves in association where we felt like we were very authentic. Mm -hmm. I think that many, and you can correct me, but I, I feel like many processes of trial and error allowed us to see like, okay, this association, friendship, couple, uh, whatever, school, is not exactly me. Like Bali got a degree in psychology and eventually found like, okay, this is not exactly my occupation. Or I, you know, might've been in a relationship where I was like, okay, this is not exactly the relationship for me. And so I think through trial and error, we kind of started approximating more and more an environment of work, an environment of sangha, of spiritual service, uh, our, our attraction to our spiritual master and that kind of thing where it was like, okay, this is the association that actually resonates the most closely with my most authentic self. And that's where we found each other. You know what I mean? So it's like, that would be my preparation for man or woman would be like, understand your nature, understand what you think your gift is in this life, understand who your people are in this life your like-minded sangha, your devotees, people who encourage you, service that you feel deeply connected to. If you, if you have an occupation, then an occupation that you find can be a real contribution and you're able to give, but it also gives back to you. And then in that space, then let me let them find me here. You know what I mean? Mm. Let me be vibrating at my truest, highest self and then let them find me. And if Bali had found me, and we, I, I say this all the time, if Bali had found me 
eight months before, I would have been a different person. And if I had found, you know, he just said something similar where it's like, if he had just been a few degrees left or right, then we might have like missed each other. So basically, it's a personal responsibility thing. It's not that you are your highest self, but put yourself where you would be to be vibrating at your highest self and then let your person find you there. Mm. Wow, brilliant. So uh, I don't know good. if you want to dig more on this, Kermit Avatar, but I have maybe, I think a lot of the elements have come out so far in what you said, but I do want to ask, ask it as a direct question. But Kermit, I just, want to dig yeah, yeah, yeah. I just have a brief point here. And that is at that critical moment, when when the two of you crossed paths um bali you were saying earlier that like beyond what i'm gonna call the bonding mediums like krishna consciousness kirtan maybe reading like things that you share over which you kind of connect that there was something that there was something beyond that right but I want to kind of revert back a little bit to this notion of bonding mediums. And at that critical moment when you guys crossed each other's paths that first time, like how exactly did that connection crystallize? Were there certain bonding mediums or was it just kind of like a side long glance? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let me, let me stop there. Yeah. I think that, uh, our the the presentation of our relationship now is a very evolved has evolved in the years that we've been together now right. over 10 years right. um like we didn't do kirtan together growing up like i share up together we didn't grow up together but like even in you know it's not like we you know danny didn't go to gurukul right. um or grow up in a traditional devotee community like many like many people in my generation did so um, the things that that I think maybe you're hinting at, like those bonding, which, you know, like, oh, our relationship was more than just attraction. It was because Krishna was at the center. That didn't happen till later. Mm. The first thing that happened was chemistry. Yeah, we liked each other. We liked, <laughs> I liked like, it's okay, guys. We had chemistry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I like your face. <laughs> You know, like there is like there is a you know there is a chemistry. There was there is a physical, and it's not just physical attraction because if she were, you know, didn't have a good personality, it'd just be like you're just a pretty face. But she has so many things, you know, wh whether it's a sense of humor, whether it's connect, just like that French friendship when you connect with somebody, and then when you have friendship, and then there's attraction and all that. That's how that's how the but that's how a relationship. But, you know, it, it, it's there has to be both of those things. Otherwise, if it's just physical attraction, it just it's like a, it's like a match. Just it comes up and then that's it. It goes out. But because we had the, the different compatibilities and all that stuff. But initially it started just how a relationship might start. Where it's like I dig your vibe. I dig your face. Let's find out more about each other and get to know each other more. Exactly. <laughs> I like, yeah, Bai says, I like your face. What do you think about my face? It's like, uh, yeah, your face good. you think my face is good? But, but to be fair, to be fair, these interactions were happening at like a Wednesday night kirtan or, mm. you know, we were at Rathiatras. So it's like the backdrop. Exactly. So, but, but I think that that's mm. important because your backdrop 
is a moving and breathing expression of what matters to you. Mm, Why would I be at a Rathiatro? Yeah. What am I doing at a Rathiatro? What are you doing at Wednesday Night Kirtan? You hosted Wednesday Night Kirtan mm. for like a decade or something. So it's like, that says something about mm. you. So even though on the surface, we might be like your face, my yeah. face, in the background, what's happening is, oh, you're the guy that hosts Kirtan. You've been doing Kirtan a lot. You're actually like a nice Kirtan yes. player. You, you're committed to this as your seva. I'd like to do more Kirtan. I wonder what it'd be like. So mm. I don't think that those are conscious processes. I think that when you get to know somebody, your sensory experience and your hormonal experience and all of your conditioning just kind of firing off and stuff is what's happening here in the immediate. And that's what catches your like, wow, and that's it's so exciting. But then in the background, someone else's subconscious and someone else's chitta and someone else's karma is like, hello, and mine is rising up here. <laughs> you know, it's like a very, it's, it's a little spooky because you realize how entangling your karma can be. And then Bali spoke to that, how years, decades later, you're still mm, like trying to disentangle that karma if the relationship mm -hmm. doesn't work out. So that subtle body entanglement, that karmic bond that you create, it goes beyond just that kind of superficial thing. But to deny that that in, in immediate kind of like attraction and chemistry was there, that I mean, that's mm -hmm. that was real for us. And I think that it's a big disservice to be like, it was the way that he quoted Prabhupada. That <laughs> <laughs> For some people, that would be the magic that, that catches them at the beginning, but it would be inauthentic and I think a huge disservice for us to present it differently than it was. We got along. We liked each other's mm. humor. We liked hanging out together. We found each other attractive. And the more we got to know each other, the more we realized there was all this compatibility from like, the foods we like to the music we listen to and and that kind of thing and also it's not like we're twin flames in the sense that he's like the male copy of me or i'm the female copy of him in many ways we're very different and like he said we've had super different growing up experiences and those created challenges but they also allow for mutual influence like relationship researchers have found that like one of the most important determinants in long-term relationship satisfaction is allowing, permitting, actually welcoming the influence of your partner into your life. And I feel like that's so true for us. Like there's ways that Bali has influenced me to be almost the, the diametric opposite of what would be natural or like a, like a what's it called? reflex, reflexive for me, but allowing- Can you give that, an example? Can you huh? give an example of that? Can you give an example? Yeah, I'm totally not an extrovert at all. Like I'm totally <laughs> super, I'm, I like to be by myself. I have like kind of a hermit nature. And because of Bali's natural charisma and encouragement and extroversion, and also his direct encouragement of me of like, go out there and do this. I'm able to perform songs on a stage. That was an impossibility for me before or lead kirtan or do public speaking. Not because I was insecure, it's because I genuinely have no like natural desire of like, oh, I just wish I could do this in front of an audience. I don't have that nature at all. But because it's something where my service can be channeled, he encourages me to do that. Right. And so, you know, my even simple things like working out, being athletic, that's my nature. But because of him, he's very highly athletic and competitive and stuff. Just being around that, it becomes kind of contagious. Good qualities and bad qualities happen this way. But the best parts of you can be kind of discovered and untapped by allowing the influence of of another. I I take great pride in amplifying Bali's musical like uh, palette. That's what I yeah. think. I <laughs> For those who don't know, Danya's 
biggest fan is Bali. <laughs> He will legit. He will legit talk about her and her music for an hour straight. Or you're just like looking like, okay, Bali, we get it. You like her no, music. No, I mean the music. He <laughs> likes my music. No, the music that he listens to. You know. I am her biggest fan, though. That is That's true. true. <laughs> I do. I do want to bounce off her statement yeah. to to clarify that yes, if if the backdrop of Krishna consciousness and shared values hadn't been there underneath the initial chemistry and connection and the I like your face stuff, it wouldn't have gone any further. Mm. You know, if, if we had had that initial attraction and, and I'd been like, oh, you know, Gorpernim, and she's like, oh, the, it's Gorpernim? Actually, I was planning on going to the beach that day and blah, blah, blah. Like, the, my thing would have been like, <laughs> like okay, we're going to have that kind of relationship. It's not going to go any further. The fact that it's like, you know, I, Kirtan is very important to me. Being a devotee is very important to me. Listening to Sadhu speak is very important to me. Prabhupada is very important to me. Like my Guru Maharaj, all of those things, the fact that she shares all those values meant that everything that else that we had was just like, it was just taken to the next level. And had that not been there, even, even in the budding stages of like initial attraction and chemistry, it, it wouldn't have gone. Better. Attraction and chemistry is one path. And then when you have like values, principles, spiritual, like then it like it takes it on another path. And if you have, I think if you have both, because you can have like shared values, like we both like Kirtan, you know, I call him Prabhu. He calls me, do you like him? Well, you know, I I, he's a good devotee. It's like, well, do you actually enjoy being with this person? Do you enjoy their company? It's like, there's nothing wrong with you having a dharmic relationship that doesn't contain any of those things. You can have a very happy and fulfilling life out there. Do I think that's the highest level that a relationship should or could be at? No. If you have a dharmic relationship with the other you know the attraction and the compatibility and the chemistry and the friendship then you have something that's that it is happy and joyful which is like mm. there's you know i've had this coming in many different ways things that are like things that make you happy and things that that give you joy um you know like or it's like pleasure and fulfillment they have different like you know there's something that might feel good but it doesn't fulfill you and there's things that might fulfill you but they're not you don't actually enjoy mm -hmm. them when you do when you get both in one like this is very fulfilling and i enjoy it it's just that's like dharma you know that's everything is is being just like in its fullest truest sense so when you're in a relationship you can be in a relationship that is has you know it's very fulfilling and does good things for society if you have no take no pleasure from that it's going to be hard or if you have a relationship where you're just constantly gratifying your senses and you're just like all on on these highs but you don't have it doesn't make you a better person it doesn't nourish yourself and then it, it's only going to go so deep when you have both of those together is when you have like the truest the highest the strongest and that's, that's in anything you know like even in ayurveda mm. they say that you don't properly absorb the nutrients even in very healthy foods if you don't enjoy the taste right Right, right. You have to have some taste. And Prabhupada talks about that. He says, like, there has to be a little bit of enjoyment because if it's all tapasya, then there's that edge of like you can become very bitter and very resentful. And that's just another kind of entanglement. Your attachment just flips to the other side of the coin, and that could be really dangerous too. Well said. Okay, I got a few more questions on here, part of the list. I want to know about the courting process. The courting is a very old word that no one uses anymore. <laughs> But um, <laughs> I, I, like, <laughs> uh, courting. But the, the courting process, I think 
along with the and you know the stories that we inherit we inherit the way people kind of establish relationships with each other which may or may not be the best or most wholesome way of doing so and but because our minds are our minds are very good at imitating so we imitate the things that we receive from our parents from our stories and so on i'm going to know about the courting process and maybe for you know what sort of advice you would give to your your children for example um, or to young devotees who are looking up to you all or feeling very inspired by this podcast about how they might go about establishing a relationship. Is it going to be like, yo, girl, can I get that number? Or like, is there a process? You know, I, truth be told, I really like these old period movies. <laughs> I try, try not to watch them too much because, you know, I'm a Hare Krishna, but I like these old period movies. And when I, aside from like the, the, the like style of dress, which is so cool. Like people valued how they looked when oh, they were yeah. coming out in public, which is really cool to me. A lot of these movies, they feel like a, like an actual courting process. It there's wasn't just etiquette. like, yeah, there's like an etiquette for how you would approach and establish that relationship. And I always find that so fascinating and beautiful. <laughs> oh my God. So yeah, I want to hear about this courting process and um, maybe some, yeah, some guidance or some insight that you have about how one might go about that in a way that is nice and successful or wholesome for them. Mm. I think our courting process, again, is it's a little bit um, layered because there was so much family history where we knew so much about each other. Mm. So there wasn't this experience of like, that's a total stranger. How will I approach them? Like that never happened. I don't think mm. we experienced that of one another. I will say that probably kind of converse to that, one of the like best parts of our courting process is that I already knew his family really well and he already knew my family really well. So it was like understanding me and where I came from was mm. so many things I didn't have to explain. There were so many things that he already knew from firsthand experience, whether it was interacting with my dad or spending time with my brother and my sister growing up or having like Latin American culture in common, which is a big kind of point of, of sharing values, even if we grew up a little differently. So I think that a lot of the mystery of like, who is this person can be understood, not just by directly interacting with the person, but interacting with their family, which is very anti what happens nowadays because we're isolated and the nuclear family becomes smaller and smaller and breaks apart and reforms and reform. So it's like, who is your family? Where is your family? You live away from your family. For me, mm -hmm. like understanding Bali and, and getting to know him in that courting process meant also understanding he, you know, his brother and his dad and his mom and their marriage and how he grew up and, you know, his aunts and uncles and their kids. And I feel like it was the same way for me. I don't think that it was an intentional thing. I think that that was just already like very strongly there. And so it allowed the courting process to unfold quite easily. Mm -hmm. And a lot of our early interactions, because there was that like long distance component where I didn't actually live in the U.S., it, it just happened online. We wrote so many emails to each other and we chatted so much to each other and we only you know our our first date was like at the beginning of june and i didn't see him again until la rathiatra in august and then we just like went on rathiatra together hung out like got like donuts or something in la in la and i didn't see him again so it was very touch and go which i think happens a lot for young devotee couples because we're an international movement a lot of it takes place online couples that are getting together during COVID are getting together online obviously so 
<laughs> that allowed in a cool way for a lot of narrative to be there. You can say a lot about yourself and you can have a lot of kind of the ex exposition part without that physical element, which is, is sometimes helpful. It also creates an element of separation, which wasn't like so much fun to experience, but I feel like that was kind of cool. I really valued a lot of like the letters that we wrote each other and a lot of our chats and it's, it's perhaps even, uh, I have a question maybe if this for men, it was easier to open up about maybe those deeper topics because it wasn't an in-person conversation it was like online and you had time to think and respond i don't know that's that's what i remember of the courting process but it was also 12 years ago so <laughs> i just want to say i find everything you said very very interesting because it sounds a little bit like what we hear about traditional cultures oh yeah which oh, yeah. is like the family and i also reminded me of something that my mom used to tell me all the time when i was a kid so that if you ever decide to marry someone meet their family because you don't just get that person you get their whole family and you got to know what their family is don't marry them until you like she was always marry, just impressed that on them you marry your person's family there's no question there's no question and in my case i say this all the time i was lucky to inherit incredible in-laws i love my in-laws i'm blessed by my in-laws they love me like a like a daughter like a sister and and i'm so i feel so lucky for that and my family, I, I mean, they like him more than they like me. <laughs> <laughs> I also find it interesting, just one other thing I want to amplify. I've heard this from another friend of mine. He, when he started a relationship, it was mostly online because it was a long distance thing. And you were saying that allows for narrative to be built without this sort of maybe distracting or elements of the physical proximity. I find it to just be very fascinating too. Yeah, yeah Bali. How, your version, your take. You no, know, you were talking about these period pieces. I feel like we're we're millennials, right? So we are our own period piece. And talking to the next generation is like Zoomers. I don't know what they're called, Zoomers. <laughs> like, like they're not, it's already a different, it already looks different. You know, like if I'm talking about, you know, 2009 is 12 years ago. So I try to think of somebody 12 years younger than me now. Coronial. Yeah, I, how are they, like, they're a different generation, just like the, from millennials to Gen X to whatever. So um, I think that it will look different, yeah. just like ours looks different from the generation before us. You know, the generation before us didn't have MySpace and all that stuff. There was, it was literally like, we're going to go and meet in a place and yeah, I hope yeah. you know how to get there because you don't have a cell phone and we <laughs> We're gonna say a time, and if you're not there, I guess you died. You know, like <laughs> you just didn't make it. I'll try next time. You know, like, but now it's, but now it's like you just share your Google Map. It's a different. So it's gonna, it's gonna constantly evolve. What the courting process is gonna look like? It's gonna based on be based on society. Gonna be based on technology. What I can say is, if you are under the age of Probably now, because I feel like people are staying younger, longer. Um, if you're under the age of 25, that's not going to be the person that you're marrying. Really sorry to break it to you. Like, I apologize in advance for the pain of the heartbreak because this is a serious relationship because you're 21 and you're learning love and you're discovering so many things about yourself. You're not going to make it. Like, sorry. <laughs> I, I mean, for, for myself, it was probably like the cutoff age was like 21, 22, yeah. 20. Mm -hmm. But now, you know, as people are, you know, growing up later, it's going to. So 
Mm. If you're young and, and you're with that person, like, God bless you. I hope you all make it, but it's probably not going to happen. Um, <laughs> that's, that's, you're, there's a lot of learning to be done. And, and sometimes that happens with your first and second relationship. You don't know who you are. If you want to make that first relationship work as a person, can't speak for women, as a man, you have to assess who you are and who you want to be. Truly be like, who, what are my weaknesses? What are the things that I strive for? Am I there? Why not? You know, like if you have a, a, an addiction, if you have no ambition or, or yeah, you know, ethic for work, if you don't know who you, what you want to do with all that, why are you in a relationship with somebody else? They're not going to help you discover that you got to figure that crap up on your own. So, you know, and most people don't get that until 25, you know, 24, like mid 20s. And, and who knows how far back that's getting pushed because of and it's and it's because of many things that we're growing up later. Um, but the reality is, is that as, as a man, you have to you got to be a man. That's something that my dad would tell me all the time. Be a man. Even when I was like five, be a man, you know, like <laughs> I had from a young age, like, oh, what does that mean? You know, OK, it means, you know, be strong or or, you know, like you got to work hard. Like you want something Sacrifice. you got to, You know, like my dad would would sometimes get up at four in the morning to drive two hours to work to be there at eight in the morning because he worked in Orlando, which is 150 miles away from where we live. So, you know, and he's like, you just, you just be a man, you just get up, you do it. You know, it's like, that's what you have to do. You know, like th that kind of, so certain principles that I knew that, that were instilled in me and some things that might not have been, cause I didn't have, you know, I didn't have in Gurukul, you know, a lot of times you're like, you're a lot of, I love the experience. And if, and I would, encourage all young men to go through this experience but you kind of get transplanted and then your training comes from other people which i think is amazing so like i had retadja maharaj i had my gurukul teachers i had like the other just different experiences so many things that were kind of informing me on what it meant to be and um and then and then on top of that my formative experiences with my first relationships in life and making mistakes in those and and just being young and immature. So the courting process is gonna depend a lot on your maturity. And most people are immature for a really long time, myself included. I feel like I didn't, I didn't feel like at like a semi-mature adult till I was like in my early 30s. Like literally, that's like three weeks ago. <laughs> okay, I actually feel like I have a baby now, I have a daughter, I got gray hair. You know, I got a job, like I got a house. I feel like a man for a lot of time, for most of my 20s, I was feeling like, like uh, my parents would call them teenagers, where it's like 20, you're just like kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. have a little bit more privileges, a tiny bit more responsibilities, but it doesn't really kick in until late 20s, early 30s. When I was mm. feeling, it's like, it's hard, man. If I, if I had known 10 years ago, 15 years ago, what I knew now, entirely different. So as I, I think that as far as developing relationships in your, if I'm talking to the young adult, young adults, it's like grow up, mature, mm. discover yourself, find what you want to do, find what you want to be. And if you find yourself a far distance from that, then you probably shouldn't be sharing this growing 
this growth spurt that you're about to do or this like big change and growth and maturity, you should probably shouldn't be subjecting somebody else yeah, to your to your growth. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're like, man, you know, when I'm a man, I want to really be able to just whatever it is that your ideals like this is what I need to be. If you're really distant, then then probably get there, try and get there first. And then as you do that, things will come your way. Th- the mm-hmm. things will come as you're prepared to receive them. Well said. Wow. A couple other questions here um, that I really want to ask. So I'm going to ask it right away. I don't know. You may want to say something, but I want to get this in. I really want to know. <laughs> yeah. I want to know about the transformation that you both experienced within yourself um, before and after parenthood. Uh, that's, just, that's what I wanted to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think we've gotten, we've gotten a really good. We normally ask, the experience, the experience of transformation before and after marriage, but we've gotten a lot of that in the course of this conversation. So mm. what is the transformation before and after parenthood? Because for me, like with my guy friends particularly, I love seeing them become fathers because mm. all of them are so giddy about it. And, and I think what I liked observing, why I like observing that is because they're, they're always so taken aback by it. Mm. like how giddy they are about being fathers and many of them say i didn't i didn't really want to be a father and then after having their first kid it's just like a complete transformation so i'm always interested i don't know about the ladies because i'm not super close with a lot of ladies to hear about that particular experience so i want to hear about that transformation before and after parents and how and particularly how that also transforms the relationship itself because the relationship mm. kind of gets transformed in the process of that transformation of becoming parents. Yeah, I think for us, I mean, there's no words to describe the transformation. And that's why I think when parents try and communicate to somebody else who they know is expecting a baby, they're like, you just don't know, it's impossible for me to tell you. And it's true, it's it's literally, it's impossible to describe because it's a felt sense. Mm. Like what Bali was saying, it's a felt sense. It's like something that can only be experienced. It's like, how do you, how do you explain the feeling of being connected in kirtan? Like there are words, but like the words don't do it justice. And it really feels like that. Um, anything that's anything where it really unlocks a part of your dharma, where it's like you were meant to do this in this life. When you do it, it's impossible to describe. I can't like, how do, how do you get Bali to describe what it's like to play Murdanga? You can't because it's part of his dharma. Just like, it just is like a felt experience. So it's, it's going to be impossible to describe, but I, I we joke sometimes like dang we're so happy we didn't know it was this good earlier on because I would have been popping babies out from like seven. <laughs> I had no idea it was this amazing. I mean, on a on a personal level, it's transformational because you realize that not putting yourself in the center doesn't have to be painful. It can be blissful. Mm. If it's the correct order of things, to put her at the center of the household feels natural and not in like some weird like overly burdening her kind of child worshipy like inappropriate way but in like a well-informed way and and one of the reasons why i feel like we've been able to do this in in a way that feels really great is because so many of our peers had kids before us Mm -hmm. so we got to see how they did things and learn from what they advised and we got we have such a nice community and we have so much help and nama is like an angel baby who's just got this incredible personality and she just like fit so perfectly into our life um but yeah it's just totally transformative like serving her is such a joy it's like incredibly 
challenging, but not in the movie way that you think, even Hollywood, that influence of Hollywood is there. It's like the mom who's all frazzled and she's not getting sleep and she's all like, ah, you know, like that wasn't our experience. I didn't get sleep, but it's, it's not, it doesn't feel like I thought it would feel. Um, it, and I think that in my personal experience, I'm a planner, I'm a researcher. I'm like, I like to learn a lot of things. I like read books about baby sleep and preparing for birth. And, and one of the biggest lessons for me has been just like, let the experience in, like let the experience in, allow it to touch all levels of you. Just let it be something that you're immersed in and trust that this is, if this is something that you're meant to do, if you're doing it with the right intention, you're connecting it to your Krishna consciousness, you trust your partner, your partner trusts you, just let the experience flow. And, and anytime that I've been challenged, that's what I have to keep coming back to because I want to do things, you know, a certain way in my, in my motherhood, let's say. And um, yeah, it's, it's just been transformational. And honestly, the most beautiful gift Nama has given us is like my ability to see Bali as a dad. Like I knew he was going to be a great dad and I knew he was going to be like so bonded to her. And so and to be honest, we were a little freaked out at first when we found out we were having a daughter because for us, like the, like that protective element goes like, like, okay, it's a girl. Like everything has to be much more protective. Um, but Bali as a dad, I've never seen something so like, graceful it's like something i don't normally associate with like a a masculine person but so graceful so tender so loving just so like we're we're like obsessed with her and we'll watch videos of her after she falls asleep and we'll often look at her today we just took a walk like in a nearby forest while we were helping my mom with an appointment a doctor's appointment we were walking and i was holding her and we say this to her like at least twice a day we were like can you believe we have a kid and this is our kid? <laughs> like, oh my God. So it's it's totally mind boggling. And if you allow yourself to fall in love with it, it's like the greatest love in the world. Like I, I, I'm like, not, I can't even organize my thoughts because it's, I can literally just bubble up about this for another whole podcast episode. <laughs> I'm obsessed with him as a dad. Like, you can fall in love with an almost brand new partner if that person comes into their parenthood the way that Bali has come into fatherhood. Like I met a new like Bali 3.0, like relationships, whatever. <laughs> I met Bali 3.0 and I was like, oh my God, I didn't even know I could like you now this much because now I see you in your fatherhood. It's a whole other arena where you like shine and yeah, it's it's magical. I'm obviously super into it. Thank <laughs> you. Good night. We're gonna stop the Dadka podcast. <laughs> Damn Bali, I'm feeling charmed now on your behalf. Now we all fall in love with you. Okay, let's um let's hear about your experience, Bali. This awesome yeah. Bali 3.0. It definitely, you know, I a lot of my peers had kids. And I've always loved kids. I play with them. I think they're great. Bali's like, a super uncle. Like I'm, I, I love. Like I just love kids. They're they're great. They're innocent. They're they're just fun. And uh, I thought that I knew. I was like, yeah. Well, when you have a kid, it's like when you're cuddling, you know, your nephew, or your niece, or your best friend's kid, and and it's and um, you think you know. You think you can even approx. The, I thought I could approximate the feeling of holding my child in my arms, and there's no way to understand it except when it's you're experiencing it in the moment and i felt you know danya has done a lot of work with very patiently and diligently to help me transform over the last 12 years 
and I probably transform more in 12 seconds um, <laughs> from Nama's it's, birth. It's true. It, like all of that, like all of the things, they, they just become so real and your entire priorities, your entire world, the things that bring you joy, everything is happening through the lens of this child. We could be standing in front of this like amazing natural phenomenon. We're just staring at our baby to see how, how to watch them absorbing the beauty. Cause that is our beauty, you know, seeing, you know, we're out there and there's nature and we're just like, how look at like in, enraptured, obsessed really by this, this pure, just like, they're so vulnerable. They're so innocent. They're just like constantly learning and, and you feel, it's it's just joy it's just joy and um it's hard to explain it you just have to feel it um as far as you know my relationship with danya you, you the the mom is just like trooper 100 percent. like we it's challenging for me like i'm tired and all the time i'm like i don't know how she does it I, I literally I don't know because I like I I need to go into the other room like once or twice a week to catch up wherever the thing is catch up on sleep. She doesn't get that liberty. It's been a year. I would look like a fool. I'd be like Gollum. I'd be like, thank you for coming on the podcast. Comes in like super like graciously, lovingly. And gracefully doing a 24 hour a day job. And that and and the thing when you say 24 hours, it's like those nighttime hours, I we sleep in the same bed. And I every whatever, however, when Nama shifts or moves around, Danya's up and there. Like, what is it that you need? Are you milk? Are you safe? Are you feeling are you feeling like your mom is here? We're all good. You're warm. You have milk. Are the covers blocking you? All night seven days a week and now it's been 300 and she's been alive for 375 days or whatever she just turned a year old on the seventh and um it's it's literally tirelessly every day not sleep can you imagine being like i have not slept no no can't imagine no i she hasn't slept <laughs> she hasn't slept in a night in a year I that just that I mean there's so many sacrifices we make but the one it's like food sleep water you know like what is more and it's just like I'm just gonna sacrifice one of the pillars of like human <laughs> you know, so the physical sacrifice is amazing the emotional sacrifice of just totally like you know would I throw my life away from a child a hundred times. There's no question. What I kill in cold blood for Namamalia, <laughs> without question. <laughs> you know, I, it's you, your entire your entire world becomes fixated on this little blessing, this little bundle, this little happy, like joyful, quirky. Like they're just like they're just discovering new things every day, and and um, it's it's a it's it's so transforming. It's so so transforming. I feel. I feel joyful, um, and and I also feel like I feel excited for people when they're gonna step into that face. Cause I'm like, oh man, and I get it now. When I remember when I had a kid, the people who had had kids before me, they're like, enjoy this time. They know. They're like, oh, you must be on cloud nine. Is it, they understand, and for the next generation to be like, oh my god, you're just gonna have the greatest time. It's gonna be the most, and I'm so happy for you. And I get why people ask. 
it makes sense when they're like, when are you going to have kids? And it's not because they want you to join their like little death cult of like, <laughs> it's because they love you and they want you to experience about that, to see that, transformation. That, that unlocking, like that chamber of your heart has never been accessed by anyone. And now all of a sudden, and then it just floods. It's like a huge flood. And so when people ask, when are you going to have kids? is because they want you to experience that joy. And, and I feel that way. I feel. But can I, can I add one thing? This might be the, the, whatever the opposite of a silver lining is, the shadow of something. Um, I think we've had many conversations on realizing when you have a kid, the, the heaviness of the responsibility and realizing like, how many kids are born in unqualified situations or, or um, unfortunate situations and the, how much pain. Like I, in my postpartum time, I remember reflecting, we would give Nama like little oil massages and stuff when she would get out of the shower. And, and I was thinking, I, it would literally make me cry and I am not a crier. It would make me cry to think that kids, not all kids are loved this way. The responsibility of kids coming into the world and, and them not being cared for, the pain that that endures. And sometimes we hear about like, oh, Varna Shankara and the damage that that does to society. And I'm like, the pain of that child, you know, like that was so real for me immediately when Nama came, like how vulnerable they are and how tender and how pain in that individual is so powerful from neglect or from lack of love that it literally will reverberate out into an entire community for lack of love. When someone isn't loved properly, it can bring down an entire community. It was like such a real realization for me. And the other realization that I remember having is that like, it's impossible to do this alone. Like the, the, the village concept, the help that my mom has given me, that our families have given, the way that we show up for each other, like the single mom is a unicorn to me. I'm like, how do you do it? Like, it's just, I mean, my mom took care of three kids, you know, Jai, like you're a mom. Like I just, they're literally like magical, mythical creatures to me because I cannot imagine. I feel like I'm so privileged to have the help that I have, to have the spouse that I have, to have somebody who's as invested and as full in. And just like I now have like a superhuman admiration for single moms, I am, if I was baffled before, now I am completely mystified how someone can roll out on this responsibility. Mm -hmm. How can you do it? Like, not only is the kid amazing, but something that happened to both of us is like the second we like held her, we were like, this is the biggest responsibility we will ever have. Like we have such <clears throat> a big job. This is a, like, this is my, like only me only us like this is our responsibility so for somebody to roll out on that and the level of like karmic weight that that has to bear down on your subconscious i think consciously you could just roll out sure and there's so much like denial and repression that has to be there for that to even work but on a subconscious mm -hmm. level on the level of your chitta on the level of you fulfilling your dharma based on actions that you've chosen to take Ooh, man, I like, I literally, I cannot understand it. I like, can't I imagine this. I had the experience when Gaur Chandra was born. And um, um, Nam and Tulsi was like, you want to hold them? I was like, nope, I do not want to hold them. It's <laughs> a little bit too scary for me. And they were like, no, no, you can hold them. I was like, I don't want to hold them. And then Tulsi like forced me to hold him. And she was like, here's his head. And you just make sure it stays up. 
And I remember holding Gorachandra. I have to admit, Gorachandra was when I shifted towards kids because I didn't really like kids before that. And after holding Gorachandra, I was like, oh my God, I love kids. Yes. But I remember, I remember holding him and I was just like, I felt like I was like holding re- like personified responsibility. Yes. And I was like, ooh. <laughs> 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 so I'm just amplifying that, um, that, that part of it. Also, you guys are reminding me, it's a little mundane, but you guys are reminding me of Lauren Hill's Zion song, which is one of my, I mean, Lauren Hill is one of my favorite artists of all time. And um, she had this song about Zion, which was, she was being encouraged to, I think, have an abortion from the people around her. And she refused to do so. And then when she gave birth, now the joy of my world is in Zion. You guys are really, I think you really presented that very wonderfully because I think the millennial Mm -hmm. generations and the generations that are after, there's a lot of, it seems like there's a lot of negativity around stepping into parenthood for whatever reasons are right. going to sacrifice their their pleasures mm. i think yeah that's want, the, they, i mean people want to enjoy and you you're like you sacrifice your body you sacrifice your time your travel your whatever yeah, you want to have your thing and some people they just don't want to give it up and i and and in many ways i mean we're we look young but i'm 36 this summer so i'm not a young dad um, you know, and we waited because we knew that once we have a kid, like everything, everything that we were doing before, it becomes, it comes, happens through the lens or the filter of how, how does this serve my, my child? Um, so we waited, we were together for 10 years before, before we had a kid, because we knew that it would be, that it would become the new center um, of our whole relationship. I want to amplify also this other idea you guys both mentioned. Um, in terms of the transformation of your own personal relationship, there's something about, there's something extremely beautiful and attractive in seeing like a person in sacrifice. You know, I guess that's kind of, and I'm not a Christian, I'm not a person that's into Christianity at all for anyone who knows me. I'm pretty sectarian AF, but I guess I can kind of get the allure of the sacrifice of Jesus, you know, that, and, Although, like Prabhupada says something to the effect, like to see the spiritual master like that is offensive. And I get that idea also. But there's something about, no, that represents the greatest sacrifice. It's something about seeing someone making a great sacrifice is actually the most beautiful and most attractive thing. And just the way you guys articulate it, it just brought that in my heart that, okay, the way that you guys see, you guys see each other in terms of the sacrifice now. And that makes you both, you know, exponentially more beautiful, you know, for Nama, of course, who's experiencing that viscerally and also for each other. I don't know, it just, for me, it just rang very beautifully. Like, wow. I mean, it sounds like it reminded me when you were saying that, you know, one of Krishna's opulences is his renunciation, Mm. right? And so if he's all attractive and he's all beautiful, that means renunciation has to be beautiful. And our idea of renunciation is Mm. I dress in rags, I walk around with my begging pot. And there may be some allure to that. There may be some beauty or some attraction. Like, wow, that be, that can be magnetic. But then in our ashram, our renunciation looks like this, you know, lack of sleep, having to shift your thing. Bali has to work extra. We have to change our, our seva functioning. You know, the whole house revolves around her. And why shouldn't that be attractive? The way that money or power or beauty or knowledge or any of the other things are attractive, that totally makes sense. I'm blushing again. <laughs> You're so articulate, it's wild. 
I have one final question. We're a little bit over time in our normal length, but this has been such an enriching talk. I have to say, guys, I'm, with all humility at my command, I'm very, very happy with the content we put out on the rise. And <laughs> that sounds really Eric. It's just, and it has nothing to do with us. It's the guests. You guys are bringing so much beauty. And um, I'm, I'm going to go just slightly over. I don't want to extend it for too much longer. But this, this last element I feel is important. Navigating challenges in relationship. And we're, okay, Karuna, you and I, we all have some psychic stuff today. Na navigating challenges in relationship because our generations don't seem very good at that. And this kind of got brought up a little bit earlier in the podcast. It was touched on a little bit. But maybe just giving maybe a more full uh, exposition on that in terms of personally or just in terms of things that you've learned of how to navigate that successfully or skillfully without it having to be like the end of a relationship. Mm. I just want to amplify that slightly, bring a little edge to it, is um, Daniel specifically in your case, but I also found out that, that Bali also studied psychology. But your professional training as a as a family and couple therapist, um, how does that how does that inform also your ability to navigate challenges and differences in your relationship successfully? Does it have an influence? To what extent does your does your theoretical knowledge come into play? Um, and just yeah, like how is that kind of reality for you guys? This is the final question, by the way. We don't want to keep you away from not on too much longer. We're already, we're being selfish. Now. We're being, we're starting to enter selfish territory here. So this would be our last and final question. Um, I when I was taking a social psych class in undergrad, I remember reading someone somewhere important said that you they judge the health of a relationship by how people fight. Um, mm. That is the that is the barometer. Mm. It's not how they are because all couples are cute when they're posting on Instagram. You know what I'm saying? All couples look cute on vacation and 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 all couples laugh and giggle yeah, with one another when, when they're good. in love. When it's good, it's all good and it all looks the same. Um, how do you guys um, deal with conflicts? So that was actually something that I haven't done much maturing in the 12 years of our relationship, but what I can say that I feel that in that, while I was talking about self-assessment, um, how to handle a fight and how to handle a conflict is something that I feel that at least in our relationship, maybe outside people can, I, I'm still a, a mood, huh? <laughs> um, but uh, inside of our relationship, how we deal with conflict is something that I feel that I have um, been able to mature a lot. In, and it's through Dunya's assistance and, and kind of, and actually something that your guru Maharaj said, I don't even know where or when I heard this, but basically like how, how, yeah, Radna Swami, how the the how the ego and pride, how they can get in the way of a relationship and, and how you have to just be humble in a situation with your spouse. And um, I realized so many times that we would fight if I was like, what? Like, what would Radna Swami do or what would he say to me in this situation mm -hmm. and how I'm reacting, whether I'm acting in a biting way or is it my pride? Like, what is actually happening? Why am I so upset? And just re recognizing maybe different people respond in different ways to conflict, but so much of my thing came from my ego, from my desire to be right, from my pride on how I feel like I should be spoken to 
or feel like I should be judged on my actions. And so much of my anger in, you know, cause that's what a conflict is when you have your butting heads and one person gets angry. Cause if you're all just like disagreeing and nobody's angry, you just, you know, like, okay, well, we'll just, I beg to differ and we'll just agree on not agreeing. It's when that anger comes up that you have a fight. And um, I found so much of my anger was rooted in my ego and seeing like it still happens but I'm able to recognize it now. When it happens, I'm like, bro, that's just your ego. You just want to be right. You snapped because you wanted to hurt that person because you felt that they insulted you when they did such and such. And once I, I was able to recognize that my, my bad fighting habits, like you have habits. Everybody has habits when they fight. Their go-tos, the things that they whether it's like I, I insult this person's integrity, I make personal attacks on them, I belittle their opinions, I don't face them when they're speaking, I raise my, whatever it is, you have your like bad, like your moves in a fight. Um, <clears throat> recognizing what mine were, being like, I do this a lot, I do this a lot. Why? And then like, and a lot of times actually we'll get in something and I'll, I'll just be like, you know what? I am so heated right now anything that's going to come out of my mouth is going to be toxic. So I'm just going to do something else. Like whatever it is that we need to do, we'll do this. And let's, let's come back to this because it's not that I'm like, I, I, I'm able to tamp it down. I can't, I understand my shortcoming that my, my passion, my temper is like, I can't, I don't know how to control it, but I can at least like it'll eventually go away. It's not eternal, you know? So like I'll find a way to, to let it go. And then like, let's, let's approach this situation again when I'm able to keep my, my temper in check and my ego in check. If I can do that now, great. Probably not. Probably I can't keep my, keep my head cool. Um, and so that has helped a lot and, and we still will have little things, but it, it now, Whereas a fight before might have lasted a weekend or two days or the whole day. Now it's like, even if we had, it's like within the hour, it's like, that was wrong. Like, I shouldn't have said that. You know, what I meant to say was this, but I, I understood that I said that in a way, the way that I said it, you could have only read it as an insulting thing because I said it like this. I, I'm still, the point I'm making is valid. Like whatever it is, like this is my point, but I shouldn't have so many times it's the way you say things to another person because you can have two different opinions on things and totally get along. Like I think you should have took out the trash. Well, I will, whatever it is, your points can both be valid. How are you approaching those things and finding the way that I approach them and changing that? I would say like 80% of our fights became solved by just changing the approach. It wasn't, it wasn't the content, right. the content. Mm always be there you'll always find content to disagree on in a relationship how you approach and act in that moment and how you you like quell all of the bad venom that exists in the human mind when the ego is challenged what your strategies are they might not look like that to you but to me a lot of times it means detaching from that allowing my head to come to a cooler place like becoming trying to be like be soft be soft don't be hard don't be hot be soft and be cool. Like reminding myself of that has helped me in a huge way in dealing with conflicts. And our conflicts are a lot, our fights are a lot smoother and shorter. They just like, man, we got, I got stuff to do. Can't be fighting about this all afternoon. Like, let's come to a resolution. Let's make peace. It might be a little bit rocky and then eventually we'll be affectionate. It'll take a little bit out and then boom. And within an hour, we're ready to go and move on to the next thing. 
Sweet. Beautiful. Danya, just wow. any further insights or follow-ups if you'd like to say? I think, yeah, Bali, Bali intuitively, because of his uh, like maybe background in psychology, he already had a knack for this kind of stuff. But I think Bali intuitively in getting to know himself and doing his own personal work and also getting to know me, um, yeah, he just like was able to kind of unlock some like magical things and, and break taking during arguments is a very practical example that I would easily recommend to any couple in therapy. But it was actually that's a good example of something that was a huge trigger for me, because one of the things, you know, we were talking earlier at the top of the podcast about um like not seeing how things happen for couples in real life. You don't see how real couples fight. And you also don't see how real couples resolve their fights. Mm. Sometimes mm. it's an epic fight. And then it's just, oh, we just kissed and made up. It's like, that's not real. So the, the, the resolution and how like that can be muddy and awkward and you have to try a bunch of different ways before you finally lock into one. That was definitely the case for us, I think, for a while. And one of my big triggers was, was feeling like if I didn't fight very hard, then my needs wouldn't get met because I wasn't fully understood. And so we would sometimes engage in this like pursuer distancer, which is like, he's feeling triggered. He needs space. I'm feeling triggered. Come back here. So we can, <laughs> he's feeling triggered. He needs more space. But this is, this is like, it's not me and Bali. That's like a pattern that exists right. that much later on in school. And so a way to diffuse that is to say, I do need space, but I want to come back. This is important to me. I want to come back and talk about this. Can we talk about this in two hours? And I will give you undivided attention. And the other person has to take a leap of faith and say, you know what, if this is what's best for you, and it's going to create the highest version of this conversation, then yes. And in the meanwhile, how do I soothe myself without needing you to soothe me? So for both of us, it's been the, 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 the best part of fighting is when we both know ourselves well enough to know what do I need to self-soothe so I can bring my highest self to this conversation instead of being triggered by you and compounding that saying like, now you're also responsible for soothing me and you're also responsible for my nervous system reactions. And you're also take care of yourself. Take care of what do you need right now? He needs space. Okay. Let him have space. He'll come back a better person to argue with. I need X, Y, Z. I'll be a better person to come back and argue with. And that, a lot of that has to do with with childhood stuff or, or early life stuff, which is what are my triggers? What's going to make me feel insecure? What are his triggers? What's going to make him feel insecure? So um, a lot of it is learning. And, and I think any healthy relationship is going to fight well if you understand what the other person's hot buttons are and you make your genuine best effort not to hit those hot buttons as an act of compassion, as an act of love. To say, you know, when I speak sarcastically, that really grinds your gears. So I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Because even if this is the thing that I feel most passionately you need to understand me on, if I try the sarcasm route, it's going to backfire. Right. And so it's like what Bali's saying. It's about like strategy. Fight smart, which is hard to do when your nervous system is activated. So the first thing is like just handle what's happening in your nervous system and then try and use strategies that actually make sense. Not from a book. It's from maybe a book, but also what you know of your partner. And that's why you super have to know the other person. What kind of house did you grow up in? What's the stuff that, you know, ticks you off or makes you feel insecure? And don't fire that off in the other person. Do it in such a way where you can avoid that. Become more intelligent. It requires intelligence to fight fair. And honestly, it requires trial and error. And there's some things, you know, they say like in, a, in couples therapy, they're solvable and unsolvable problems. 
right? Bali doesn't like pineapple on pizza. I like pineapple on pizza. That's an unsolvable problem. I'm not going to bring him over to my camp. I'm not going to, he's not going to bring me over. To so we can spend the rest of our marriage arguing about that or not. So what then you have to prioritize and say, okay, what are solvable problems? We need to save up X amount of money because this investment needs to be made. How do we strategize for that? You know, Namamalia needs X amount of attention throughout the day. You work, I work. How do we strategize around that? And you have to know that there's some stuff you're going to keep bumping into and instead of freaking out every time you bump into it and saying, it's you, it's you. It's, no, it's like, it's, oh, it's this problem that we knew was going to be a part of our like karmic bundle. And every time we bump up against it, we just have to be like, oh, there's that thing again. Let's handle it. There's that thing again. Let's handle it. So it's kind of recognizing the difference between a solvable problem that we can like handle is probably done and an unsolvable problem, which I can't catastrophize because it's only a matter of time before the next one pops up. We have to deal with it again. Right. So that's been super helpful for us. And one thing that I'll add, and this is part of a book that I recommended when you asked for book suggestions, Jai. That's um, on my list. I'm getting to it. I will get to I, it. I read a book during a very challenging time for me called Radical Forgiveness. It's a book that when you read it the whole time, you feel like you're swallowing a pineapple. You're like, no, no, no. Like it's almost like impassable. You almost can't read it. For me, it was like nauseating almost the whole way through. But it was so important for me to read because my nature is not necessarily to be forgiving. My nature is to hold a grudge, especially if the grudge is done from one of my hot buttons. So reading that book, one of the things that the author says, she says that forgiveness is a divine quality. It's not human. It's something that's divine, which means I can't actually generate forgiveness. I can only be willing to forgive. So my prayer, my job, my work is to be available to receive forgiveness. All I can do is pray for it. I can't actually make it happen. I have too much ego. I have too much conditioning. I'm embodied. I have all this karma. I have all my lenses. I have this false ego, et cetera, et cetera. So because I'm not capable of mustering up forgiveness, that's too pure a quality for me to generate from within. In my case, I'm available for it. It's not going to come from me, but if you want to give me forgiveness, then Krishna, I'm ready to receive it. I'm willing, I'm willing to forgive. And that for me has been literally like a revolution because in situations macro or micro within my couplehood or outside of my couplehood, that surrender of like, I can't, I actually don't know how to forgive. I can't do it, but I'm willing to, if it can come to me, then at least let me be available to, to, to experience it. That for me has been really transformative. It's uh, I definitely try and use that in the in the marriage stuff as well. Y'all are amazing. I'm just so inspired. You guys by are, are enlightened <laughs> AF. Wow. I'm really, I really um just to my earlier point, which was not so humble. Um this this podcast has got some good quality stuff coming out <laughs> here. You guys yeah. are askers though i think that you guys deserve credit because it's it's easy to get into the fluff but you guys get into the stuff so it's nice that you guys really go deep within it and you're asking questions that make us think i mean you've asked us questions that make us emotional you've asked us you know that's that's real and also it's because it comes from a place of care you guys are not random to us we're not random to you so there's like like that strong personal connection and and i feel like that's felt so good on wow. you Thank you I, so much for your I just, I just want to say I've I've been having this experience on a rise where the the kind of end of the episode comes and I feel like this 
this really, really deep, indescribable existential satisfaction just by like the brilliance of what's flowing out of the great souls that that are with us. And I just think to myself, like, life is really perfect right now. And then every time that I have that feeling, I think that I'm, it's never really, I'm like this particular feeling right now is never really going to be able to be topped, you know, but just right now, just, just being with the two of you and hearing from you, um, it genuinely gives me so much hope for the future. Like knowing that you guys are there having the experience that you're having and like distilling the insights that you're that you're coming to and then being willing to share that with others and setting the example that you're setting like it gives me so much hope for the future and i'm just very very deeply inspired to follow in your footsteps and and i and i'm just um yeah i'm really i'm really touched beyond words uh, honestly well those and- were good words <laughs> <laughs> This this particular subject matter is also really dear to my heart, and um, you know, I, I I feel that if 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 we're not able as a society to navigate our intimate conjugal relationships well, which there seems to be a lot of trouble with, then it's going to be so difficult to 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 really create a functional movement that can actually impact civilization as a whole. And um, this this is of such essential importance. And so, yeah, I my my deepest gratitude to both of you for being who you are, and like being able to articulate that and share that with people. It's just it's it's priceless. It's really priceless. So, big love. Thank you. Thank you, guys. All right, Karuna, let them have it. The closeout stuff. Right. Okay. So just some housekeeping. It's 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 flashing past the bottom. Uh, anyone who wants to follow us, uh, any of us that that are on the show right now, if you want to get in touch with us, the email address is there. Um, Jai and myself and a dear friend of ours, Alex, we're we're working on something really really exciting that we're going to be announcing shortly. Um, something that that we we believe will be very very impactful so please keep your ear on the ground um that's going to be coming soon and next week we're going to have also a really really cool episode with nam ras and koshtuba prabhu and raganath they're all going to come on together and we're going to have a, a little podcast mailer the people behind the purpose and um <laughs> yeah just just connect in that way so come back and join us unfortunately on the polis isn't happening later they've they've unfortunately reached the end of their series but yeah stay in touch stay in touch with bodica it's where it's at you know that's about all i have to say thank you family see y'all the next podcast and thank you so much tanya and bali you guys can just stay on we'll end the broadcast thank you so much everyone thank you for supporting us and and being with us with without you guys we this would be meaningless Hare Krishna.